This is Clayton for Podcast Radio Business. We're joined by Sarah Atkins, Director of GS1 UK. We're here to discuss 50 years of the barcode changing the course of global commerce. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. I'm really delighted to be here. Excellent. Tell us about your role at GS1 and how barcodes actually work. I think how barcodes work is a topic which I'll, I'll pick up first. So I'm the uh, marketing and membership director at GS1 UK. So I'm responsible for the 59,000 businesses that have joined us in order to identify and capture and share information about their products in order to drive commerce. How a barcode works, if I take you back a little bit, they were born on a beach in Miami, which sounds really exciting, doesn't it? Norman Woodland was an avid inventor of things to do with digital transformation, even before it had been invented. And he drew Morse code dots and dashes on the beach because he'd learnt Morse code as a Boy Scout. And then the little dots became single lines and the dashes became double lines. And literally, he drew the lines in the sand for what we now know today as the linear barcode. And those lines actually, it's not the lines that hold the information, it's the space between the lines that allow a machine to read the numbers that are under the barcode in order for the machines to be able to transfer that data between them. So huge efficiencies in supply chain, but more increasingly as we go forward, lots of transformation around customer data and how we can make that really power change within the retail and increasingly other sectors. I've also heard something mentioned in relation to barcodes, which are global trade item numbers, GTINs, I think I would could pronounce them yeah, as. And, absolutely. And who is the world's only authorised provider of them? <laughs> so GS1 is the only provider. So the GTIN is the techie number for those numbers, those 13 numbers that sit underneath a barcode. GS1 is the only global authorised number. And what happened was when industry came together and said, we don't want four or five different systems as to how a product can be identified. We want to build one system so all of the tills in the world can read it. We needed a business that could issue those numbers and make sure they were unique. So GS1 was born. We're a not-for-profit. We're a neutral organization. There are 116 of us covering the globe. We've got a billion barcodes in circulation at any one moment in time and 10 billion beeps a day, which is you know, one and a half billion more beeps than Google has clicks. And all of those are actually maintained by the GS1 infrastructure that we actually do to make sure that every beep is unique to that individual product. They can't be reused. They can't be misused. And also those individuals that want to, or those businesses that want to, they can go and check a number and make sure it's legitimate because there are people out there, believe it or not, that make up numbers and think they can get away with it. I can well believe that to be the case. <laughs> so. A lot of people might be listening and they're thinking to themselves, what's the difference between barcodes and QR codes? I like to think of the QR code of being like a young sibling. So they've been around a little while, but they've still got a lot to learn. And what we've actually found is I think the joy of what's coming is we've got used to QR codes for menus and for marketing. So they're sort of smart. But what's going to happen is the power that sits in a barcode and the internet, so the two things that have transformed my life in my lifetime anyway, are going to merge together over time. And we'll take those numbers that are embedded into a barcode and we'll put them in a QR code. So when you see a QR code with numbers underneath, you know it's a smart code because we'll have merged the internet element and the barcode element into that QR because it can hold a lot more information. But in the short term, 
what's going to happen, medium term even, is the QR code will face off to you and me as consumers and give us all the stuff that we now want to make decisions on. Is it good for me? Has it got allergens in it? Should I be eating it because I don't like wheat or I'm vegan or I'm... How do I recycle it? We've all stood in front of a recycling bin and gone, does it go in? Does it not go in? So now we've got smartphones and they too are having a 50th birthday today. So the, well, not smartphone, 50th anniversary of the mobile phone. So the cameras we've got in our phones will scan a QR code, but it will be smart. And the barcode will do the heavy lifting for the logistics and the supply chain piece. Because a lot of the retailers don't have the infrastructure yet that we carry in our hands with our phones in order to be able to read anything beyond the linear barcode. So linear barcode for logistics and supply chain and getting the right products to the right places. And then the QR code is that window for consumers on all things that we now make decisions on in our day-to-day lives. And the same when you look at healthcare, so patient wristbands and medicines and those sorts of activities. So you've mentioned quite a few business applications Mm. and even just general social applications in relation to the barcode. Obviously, we're podcast radio business. We're looking for that business angle. We are seeing the increase in a lot of people wanting to start businesses and a lot of people sometimes selling their products from their own home. I assume that barcodes are going to play a significant role in their direction. And you're absolutely right. And most people think of barcodes as being like physical bricks and mortar. What we found during COVID is all of these entrepreneurial startups were looking to trade direct to consumer. So directly through social channels, so Instagram, Facebook, you know, TikTok, or through a marketplace like Amazon or eBay, other marketplaces obviously are available. And what happened is they need product data. So when you're starting a business, you need a bank account, you need a brand And if you've got a product related business, you still need barcodes because they are like the legitimacy for your products. If you're trading with Amazon, they will check our database to make sure that what I'm selling as my fabulous new coats, whatever, are legitimate to me. And therefore, I have the right to sell them. So they are the um, online channels are wanting to guarantee that consumers get what they want. And the way they guarantee that is through the product data that's still held in the in barcode. And also, as you grow bigger as a small business, you want to make sure that you can effectively transfer your stock through the supply chain, that you don't end up with leftover stock because you can't find it, that you don't spend your Saturday spending ages doing stock taking because you don't know where it is. So those barcodes help you do all the efficiency within your business that quite often when you start up as an entrepreneur, you've got a brilliant idea and you're not necessarily in the detail of how to get it from your brain to the consumer's hands. And they definitely can help with all of those logistics and supply chain pieces and make you legitimate if you're talking to a big retailer about trading with them as well. But mainly, I think the the space of TikTok and Instagram and them all wanting to make sure that people feel safe when they're shopping online, the barcode's still got a role to play in that too. You mentioned earlier 50 years of the mobile phone and 50 years of the barcode. So you're having a a joint birthday party, as it were. (laughs) Now, what was intriguing for me was how long did it take before barcodes were actually used in the shops? Well, so that's a really great question. So Norman must have been pretty frustrated, I think, on that beach because he had a great idea. Um, It actually took nearly 20 years. Five years before the tech caught up with 
Norman's idea. So before they had a laser to scan his barcode that wasn't the size, the initial, the first lasers were like the size of washing machines. Now, obviously, we couldn't have those in every supermarket across the UK. That would be mad, wouldn't it? So what happened was it took time for the technology to catch up. And then the retailers weren't making any money because what happened was somebody at the checkout would be busy keying in all the data or they changed the prices and the people with the pricing guns would have to go around and change all the labels on everything. So it was hugely labor intensive and they never got any information back as to what was going on. So they were having things going out of stock. So they came together and they said, this isn't, this isn't working. And it took them a year and they ran a competition over which, and so Norman must've been really upset at this stage because they put seven other shapes into the mix at this stage. So there were circular barcodes and there were rainbow shaped barcodes and starburst shaped barcodes. Um, but after the consultation, and it was Heinz and Procter and & Gamble and a bunch of retailers came together, they chose Norman's barcode. And that's why we've got the one that we have today. So if you think about it, it took him nearly 20 years, then it became ubiquitous. It then took another year for the retailers to get the lasers in store. And then it took in the UK another five years for us to get that first test till in Spalding, where we didn't do juicy fruit because that's not what we do in England, we did tea. So it was a package of breakfast tea that was the first UK scanned product in a key martin in <laughs> of all places. There you go. You weren't expecting that this morning. Well, no, I wasn't. <laughs> I mean, when I was given this brief, I found the whole thing very intriguing because as you say, the barcode is so ubiquitous. It is on absolutely everything. And unfortunately, if you go into a supermarket like I was at the weekend, you will find yourself scanning your own stuff. So Norman's given us an extra job, job to do that we didn't quite um, expect. Exactly. But at least, you know, it allows us to take take control. We don't have to stand in the queue. Grocery stores don't have to do campaigns around no more than three people at the till. Um, but the other really important thing and why 50 years is special for us is every barcode starts with two digits, five zero UK. So next time you pick something up and it's one of those entrepreneurs from the UK, make sure it's got a five zero in front of it because that no, that makes sure that it's a UK entrepreneur that's made that product and you're helping fueling the UK economy as a consequence. Indeed. But let's go back to Norman because, you know, I'm beginning to build a relationship with Norman after hearing this. <laughs> you're back on that beach in Miami, aren't you? <laughs> I, I am. And I think I should go to Miami and get some inspiration for my business. But notwithstanding that Paul, Paul Norman's been left out really he's he's an unsung hero of modern life and I read somewhere that you recently did a survey where you basically asked people I think it was who they thought were technological advances or people yeah. who who had been uh, inventors etc etc and I'm not yeah. sure if I've got the right to so correct me if I'm wrong but Paul Norman I don't know whether he got onto that list or not three percent yeah that's so sad, isn't it? 3%. And interestingly, uh, Tim Berners-Lee only got like 30-odd percent. So I think these unsung heroes, these quiet voices, are part of the people that we should also be celebrating. You don't need to be big and brash and an Elon Musk in order to drive future technology and future transformation across all of the sectors that we operate in. It's actually really, it's the humble barcode with a, really persistent 
entrepreneurial spirit. You know, he worked for IBM. They turned him down the first time. They said it would never take off. And then he went back and he didn't give up on his dream. And therefore, I think those unsung heroes are also what we're celebrating as part of the 50th today. Indeed. And I think that sometimes, especially if you are a business person or you are an inventor, the idea of being loud, the loudest people are not necessarily always the inventors. Exactly. Um, it's usually those people are the front people, the person who's usually invented it, even if you look at things in terms of Apple or in terms of Microsoft or in terms of Tesla. The inventors are not necessarily the people that have got the credit or the people that you see on the front of the tin. Yeah, and we think everybody has to be an extrovert and that, you know, they've done their psychological profiling and they're all out there. And, and I think sometimes, as I said, it's those quieter voices and the more um, introverted characters that are the real power, the unsung heroes, the power behind what is genuinely driving transformation for us at the moment. And do you feel that as people become more aware of people like Norman, that people will ultimately see themselves as using a product that's done a lot of good and been accessible to so many people and may even go on to stand on the shoulders of Norman and his work? I really hope so. And part of why we're, you know, we're running this campaign today is to make it um, really understood that everybody, you know, great ideas come from anywhere. How do you think, you know, one day as a Boy Scout, you're thinking about Morse code, the next thing you're inventing the piece that 50 years on is still transforming every touch point that we've got. It's going into construction so that we can identify buildings and make sure that they're safe and have that digital transformation piece. It's still driving transformation. And people have asked, you know, why is it not changed? Why has it not gone funky? Why aren't you multicolored? Why, why fix something that's not fundamentally broken? It works. It works most of the time when we're doing our own self-checkout. Um, and therefore, <laughs> you know, we're really, sounds like all I do is go to the supermarket. Um, <laughs> But, but it, it really has been about that consistency. And all too often we think we need to change it up. We need to do the new best thing. You know, we talk about the mobile phone, you know, crikey, how many times you change your mobile phone and then wonder why have you bothered because it's exactly the same as the last phone you picked up. Um, so we're really proud of the fact that those stripy lines have stayed the same. We extend them for some categories. We make them smaller because obviously on a cream egg, you couldn't put like a whole label on it because it would cover the whole of the cream egg. So we make teeny tiny ones for those. But the whole logistic of those straightforward black and white lines is the piece that actually I think we should be really proud of. And, and sticking by your guns, not going with the fashions and the fads, sticking by your guns, a great idea will be a great idea today, tomorrow and into the future. So looking to the future, do you see any potential for further innovation or advancement in barcode technology without covering it in stripy, different coloured lines? <laughs> so I think I think there's lots to come. So we've talked a little bit about QR and uh, there's lots of legislation coming around QR. So things like deposit return schemes, where you're going to get money back for returning bottles into the supermarkets. And, and there's uh, areas in healthcare where serialization and personalization mean we want that individual data, but it needs to be read by barcode. And heaven forbid, there are going to be invisible barcodes so that when you're going and sorting things, the machine can read it, but they don't disturb how people see the packaging. And packaging, I think, has got a huge role to play in where we go in the future. So consumers have said two out of three of them will change how they buy a product based on the sustainability of the packaging, if it's the same packaging. Because 
you consume what's inside it and then you're throwing away the packaging. So that sustainable packaging piece is going to be huge. So putting invisible barcodes in there so machines can sort the packaging, we can get more back into the environment, drive that circularity, I think is going to be really key. And also, you know, in healthcare, allowing recourse to happen without using precious medical hours, I think is going to be critical. So there's still lots of innovation, but it's still based on how do you get that data to be read by a machine as opposed to errors that unfortunately, as normal humans actually bring to bear. Well, we look forward to another 50 years of development and advancement with the barcode technology. So Sarah Atkins, Director, GS1 UK, thank you for joining us on Podcast Radio Business. Thank you ever so much. It's been a joy to talk to you today. You're most welcome.